888-835-2414. This is Blogging with Leslie. Welcome to another episode of Blogging with Leslie, the podcast where you learn, I learn, we all learn about how to build an online business with a blog. No, I'm not talking about one of those blogs that will fall by the wayside when Google has a mood swing. I'm talking about one that will thrive no matter what gets thrown at it. I'm your host, Leslie Summer from becomeablogger.com, where we're changing the world one blog at a time. And as usual, I have another exciting interview for you today. In today's interview on episode 336, I am on the line with none other than Jennifer Priest. As a craft industry professional for over 15 years, Jennifer works Jennifer's work on smartfundiy.com and her other sites have been featured in major publications and online by the likes of Apartment Therapy and MSNBC. I met her at Social Media Marketing World and she told me a little bit about how Pinterest has played a huge role in growing her blog and her business and she's been doing some interesting things with hashtags over there recently. You know, and as someone that's teaching blogging, I know that Pinterest has also played a huge part in the growth of most of my clients' blogs. So I thought I'd bring her on here to talk about how to use Pinterest to grow your blogs. That's what we're going to be talking about today. Jennifer, how are you doing? Great. How are you doing? I am doing fantastic. I'm glad that you're on the show today because we got some really cool things to talk about. Yeah, I'm super excited because um, I mean, you wouldn't believe how many people don't actually use Pinterest. It's even DIY bloggers, it blows my mind. It, it, yeah, I would absolutely believe it. You know, Pinterest is one of those platforms where it's a, it's actually the first social media platform that my wife knew <laughs> more about it. She knew about it before me, and I'm the social <laughs> media guy. I asked her about, hey, have you seen this Pinterest? And she was like, hey, let me show you my boards. I was like, okay. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I, I think it, it is one that is underestimated. Um, in terms of the impact that it can have. So I'm excited that you're on here to talk about it. Um, so you are doing, you, you have smartfundiy.com, you have other blogs and other things. You're just doing a whole lot online, it seems. So I want to take us back to the beginning. Like, how did you get into this whole blogging thing um, to begin with? Oh my gosh. So back in 2007, I was teaching scrapbook classes at different scrapbook stores and a bunch of my customers, I was doing email marketing, you know, for four years, that was my thing. And a bunch of my customers were like, we want to look at your stuff online. You need to start this thing called a blog. And that's kind of what kicked it off. And I was selling on eBay. And so I thought, oh, I could promote that on this blog. And then I started promoting my Etsy shop and of course my classes and my blog really started out as a marketing tool for this existing offline business that I had. And it wasn't until 2014 that I actually like made the blog itself monetized with ads and sponsored posts and that kind of thing. And that's when I really started worrying about traffic because before it was really just a place for me to send my offline customers to go and check stuff out. Okay. So this is actually pretty early in the game, right? In 2007, um, yeah. I don't think a lot of people are thinking, hey, I can use a blog to market my offline business. That, that's not that's <laughs> not like so how did you 
how did you find out about even using it to market? Like when you said just now that they wanted to find your stuff online back then, I think the, the thing that I would have thought about is, all right, let me put my stuff online for my current clients to find it, but not necessarily use this to grow my business. So how did you, how did you realize that this could be used as a tool to grow your offline business back in 2007? Oh my gosh. Like it was, it was kind of this thing where before I used to have to collect email addresses. I remember going with like a pad and paper, <laughs> having people write it down and I'd have to be in person, um, collecting those email addresses to get the opt-ins and then have to go data entry them. And I could only be so many places so often. And so what I started realizing was my customers were telling me things like, Hey, I showed your blog post with your class to my friend in Minnesota. And we want to, you know, we want to know if we can order kits for that class. And I was like, what? And so then it, it just started like becoming this thing where people who are local, who knew me locally in, in my area, which is Southern California could start sharing those blog posts outside of, you know, just our little group. And I kind of knew a little bit about how some of that worked through, you know, I'd been selling on eBay since like 2001, I think, I'd been, um, I had started on Etsy and so I, you know, I could refer people to Etsy so they could make purchases and things like that. But, um, you know, the biggest part of my business at that point was traveling to these scrapbook stores and, and teaching classes. And so it gave me also a place, not just for people to tell their friends, like, Hey, check out this cool scrapbook kit. And, you know, you can go buy it from her even if you're not local, but it also gave me like an online portfolio that I could show to other stores that would then book me for classes. And then I started from there being able to teach at like events and travel. And, um, you know, it, it worked like as a portfolio, as well as a place for me to promote, Hey, I'm going to be in Texas teaching at this thing, or, Hey, I'm going to be in North Carolina or wherever I was going to be. So it's kind of like a natural evolution that's happening, right? So you're, you're doing the online eBay, uh, Etsy stuff, you're doing the in-person stuff, your clients say, hey, you should post the blog, you post it, but then you realize that they're sharing it beyond just the students in the class. So you start um, it kind of building out that, hey, online stuff to drive traffic to the offline, to drive traffic to your Etsy stores and so on and so on. It, it, it seems like it was just kind of like an organic process happening. Yeah. I mean, this whole thing, like 2007, I feel like was a turning point for me because that's when I learned about Etsy. I learned about blogging. People were like, you need to be on this Facebook thing and start <laughs> putting your stuff on there. And that's kind of where I, I blossomed from just doing my email marketing to promote my business and, and, you know, word of mouth to doing like this other, you know, online way of doing business. And I was hungry for information. And so I started doing tons and tons of research. And in that process, I learned so much that within my circle, I became this person that people would come to mm. for help. <laughs> and so, um, you know, that kind of had added this other angle of, of uh, things that I started doing with my business, which was like, you know, helping other people set up their blog and with social media and that kind of thing. So it's funny how, you know, when you, put stuff out there to help people, then people start asking you for help, right? It's, <laughs> it's like this natural progression. I like it. So you were doing this email marketing stuff even before. I'm curious as to what that looked like because you're getting these emails on 
pe- paper with pen and all that good stuff. What are you doing with those emails back in 2007? Are you doing advanced email marketing funnels using all kinds of sweet software? What does it look like back then for you? I mean, I know that that stuff existed back then, <laughs> but I was not. I was on constant contact and I very much prided myself on being a constant contact all-star. For many years in a row, I had a really nice open rate. Um but I, I, I kept my newsletters conversational and um, I just pretended like I was just talking to friends like, hey, here's this cool class. It's coming up. If you're at this store, here's how to call them and get the info. And you guys have been asking me if I sell, you know, these plastic ballerinas that were in the kit. I just added them to my Etsy store. So now you can get them. Like it was just, it was just kind of like answering things that they had asked me about and telling them like, hey, here's this cool thing that I'm working on. I, it wasn't really a sophisticated strategy, um, but I did clean my list pretty often. I, 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 from way in the beginning, I deleted people that did not open my emails. And so my list was small, it was tight, but it produced results. And I mean, I had a, at that time, I think my list was about 2000 people on it and I could send an email and guaranteed I would get at least a thousand dollars either in class sales that day or in Etsy shop sales every time. And I sent it like clockwork every two weeks. I religiously was super consistent with it and it paid out like so good until about 2012. Then I kind of, I fell off the email wagon a little bit. Um, but yeah, it was, it was a great uh, consistent way for me to get sales. So you said it, it wasn't anything sophisticated, um, but back then, quite frankly, I mean, that was sophisticated to me. Um, I didn't know about all the, you know, constant contact and, and you know, sending these personalized, I mean, personal emails. They look like you're sending mm-hmm. it to a friend. That that was pretty new back then. Like, how, how did you how did you learn about that aspect of um, online marketing back then? Oh, so in 2003, this is kind of a sad story. So in 2003, I graduated college with two bachelor's degrees and I could not find a job. And I had been, you know, crafting my whole life. I had started scrapbooking in 1998 when my daughter was born. And um, I was very active in this scrapbooking community. And some multi-level marketing craft company got my info. I don't remember how I got in touch with them, but I just remember sitting there without a job and they were like, you can sign up for 25 bucks or whatever it was. And I was like, I have this huge network of people I know through crafting. Maybe it's time for me to start a crafting business. And through them, you could buy like a website, but it was really like not very good at all. And a lot of the the people within that multi-level marketing company, and this was in 2003, they were like, we use email. Like you should totally sign up and get, um, did I start with MailChimp? I don't remember, but I just remember constant contact for some reason just really stood out to me. I felt like it was like the gold standard at the time of like the best email marketing software. And I'm, and that's why I chose to go with them. And so I learned through the forums, through that multi-level marketing company, and then constant contact had like training and their own little emails and they'd send you tips. And I learned about, you know, can spam act and stuff like that. And I just started doing research to be like, okay, this is the thing that I can handle is doing the email marketing. And so I'm going to be like really, really good at that. And 
not necessarily going at it so I could be really good at it, but mostly so that I could get results. Like I just wanted to learn so I could get the results I wanted. Gotcha. It's it's interesting how many people, myself included, you know, my first time venturing into uh, any kind of online business or anything remotely related to that was through an MLM. <laughs> and <laughs> and while I've moved on uh, relatively quickly from then, there was a lot of things that I learned back then that kind of set the foundation for, quite frankly, what I'm doing today. So that's that's pretty cool. Okay, so you you're you're doing the online stuff now. You have your blog. You're referring to pe- people to your site, and it reaches about. Um, well, I, I, how did you grow your blog in the beginning? Was it just all word of mouth, or were you doing specific things online? It was word of mouth, but I also had started, you know, doing stuff on Facebook, you know, back in two thousand seven, mm-hmm. and then I tried Twitter. I still. I still struggle with Twitter. It's not my <laughs> friend. Um, and, uh, you know, then I picked up Instagram and picked up Pinterest, but there was a perception because I've been very active in the craft industry for 15 years. And I've spoken at their conferences for, I don't know, eight years now. Um, and been a member of the, the trade association. I, I'm very active in, especially in Southern California in the craft industry. And there is a perception that I had achieved some level of success and, at that time, you know, early 2010s or so, people thought that that meant I was getting lots and lots of page views on my blog. And I wasn't. Like the best that I had ever done was I was on Blogger and I was getting like what Blogger said, which I think it was inflated, mm-hmm. 30,000 page views a month. Okay. And I just felt like that wasn't as many as all these other people I knew that were getting tons of page views. And why wasn't, why, you know, I talked to other bloggers or other craft designers and they'd be like, oh yeah, I'm getting, you know, 200,000 page views a month. And I was like, really? Like, I didn't want to tell them my number. <laughs> and so, um, and they're like, oh yeah, I'm just using Pinterest and search and blah, blah, blah. And, and so I started trying to optimize my stuff and people had said, well, you should really go to WordPress. And so, you know, I bootstrap everything. Mm-hmm. Right? So I was like, I can move from blogger to WordPress myself. <laughs> and I messed my site up super bad and then it got hacked and it was hacked my site at that time. It's still up. Um, It's still got some wonky stuff. I'm still working on it, but it was called hydrangea hippo. And um, at that time I just did not have the knowledge to deal with the level of hacking that had happened. And, um, I basically closed the site and started a new one because it was so bad. I just couldn't deal with it. And so I was starting from scratch and I moved over like the best performing posts. But at that point I I was getting like 10,000 page views a month and I was struggling to get them. And it was like so embarrassing because everyone around me had this perception. They're like, Oh, you're doing great, Jennifer. Right. Aren't you getting like a hundred K a month? Blah, blah, blah. I'm like, no, <laughs> you know, I just, I didn't want to talk numbers with anybody. And I was embarrassed about it and I was making money working with sponsors, but, um, just my numbers were so low. And, and this is like 2014, 2015. And that's like around the time that sponsors were starting to really look at your, your social, your traffic in determining like how much you could be paid. And I knew that if I wanted to make the blog be a business, because in, in the meantime, right in 2013, I stopped teaching classes locally because a lot of craft stores had closed. 
And so I was having to drive like two hours to teach a class that I'd make maybe $500 on. But I mean, just the time to teach the class that was like, and drive, there was six hours plus the prep. I I was losing money based on the time it Mm -hmm. took. So I quit teaching classes. And then my Etsy shop in 2013, I closed it because it was just a huge source of stress. It was a great source of income, but it was a huge source of stress for my family because I was always packing orders. I was like always stressed out about orders being late, et cetera. And so I closed it. And those were two major sources of income for my business. And I wanted to make this transition to be a blogger that made money off of ads and made money from affiliate marketing and with sponsors. And for all those things, I needed traffic. Mm. Okay. Yeah, go ahead. Oh, no, I was just going to say, and um, so I was on the search like in 2014, 2015 for a way to fix my traffic issue. And you're hearing about people getting a lot of traffic. They're using Pinterest. They're using whatever. And you decide, hey, let me give this a go. Is that how it's going? How it went? Well, I I had this perception, like, because they're like, just use Pinterest, and I'm like, I am using Pinterest. <laughs> I am on Facebook. I am doing all the stuff. I have an email list. Like, I I felt in my head like I was doing everything that I could, and. The thing that's crazy is I had consulting clients at the time that I was getting results for. And I was like, why is my stuff not working? (laughs) And so um, everybody was talking about this one ad network called AdThrive. And they're like, oh my gosh, I'm making so much money with them. And I was like, sweet. I want to do that because I was using AdSense. And I found out that you had to have 100,000 page views. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh my gosh, I have 10,000 like on a good month, I'd have 12,000. Yeah. <laughs> and so I started really researching how to use Pinterest um, to get traffic. And I realized that I was being way too timid in my approach. And I had a lot of old information and myths and things that I was believing about Pinterest. And I had even purchased Tailwind. I think I started with Tailwind in maybe 2015 or maybe earlier. And I just wasn't using it to its potential. I had board booster. I was like, I don't know what I was doing with that. And so I started doing a lot of research. I took a course that within that course, there was a Pinterest module. Um, I started reading lots of blogs and within six months. So this was in January, February of 2016. By August 1st, I had gone from 10,000 page views a month to 191,000. And it was all attributed to Pinterest. Um, Like it changed totally how I do my, how I get traffic, how I write my blog posts, how I create content. I mean, like it's such, if Pinterest started pulling the shenanigans that Facebook pulls, (laughs) I I think I'd be in trouble right now, but um, it really, really changed how I do everything with my blog. Okay, so you you go from 10,000 page views a month to to how many in six months? 191,000 a month in that that August. 191,000 in, oh man, okay, so that's a huge jump. Mm -hmm. So I want to talk about how in the world you make this happen. And you said this was back in 2016, right? Yes. Okay, so this is not that long ago. All right, so I want you to kind of walk us through how... Like, what did you learn and what did you do in order to get from that 10,000 to the 191,000? 
Yeah. So I'm going to walk you guys through that. However, there have been some changes since then and my strategy has changed somewhat. But basically the, the first thing I did was looked at my top 10 performers according to Google Analytics. What posts were already getting traffic? And then I rewrote some of those posts to make them better, make them have, you know, better photos, beef them up a little bit, add affiliate links. And then I started making pinnable images. I wasn't paying attention to, and I don't know how I got results for other people before that, but I wasn't <laughs> paying attention to like the dimensions of the images. And you, do you remember like way back in the beginning, Pinterest was kind of like square images. Yep, yep, yep. So I was still making those. Uh, and so I started making longer pin images um, using PicMonkey. They're very ugly. And because um, I, you know, I'm not a graphic designer. I'm not trained in that at all. And so I started putting the pinnable images on there. I started, and I started pinning more. And so I started doing this thing that I call pin stacking. I think other people have names for it, but basically where you take a pin and you are pinning it very aggressively. And this would be a top performer or like your new content that you have coming out. And this is what I do now, but I, I started doing this, you know, two years ago too. You pin it every single day. Like you pick a board you know, every day it pins to a different new board. And so you've got to have a good number of boards to be able to do that. And you want to do it for at least a week. And so I would aggressively pin, like I have this post, it's still as a top performer today. It's four years old called Ikea craft rooms. I'm in the middle of rewriting it. Cause it's, it's a hot mess, but <laughs> it's one that I've, I've rewritten it many times trying to make it better and better and better. And that post every month, I pick a week and I pin it every single day for that whole week. And so I have to have seven boards at least that it can go on. And I'm in the beginning I had in 2016, I was relying a little heavier on group boards. Okay. Now I don't. And the reason is the rules change so much. I can't keep up with everybody's rules for their group boards and I end up getting kicked off. So now I just made sure that like every piece of content I have on my site I have at least five to seven boards I can pin that to. And if I don't, then that content is probably a little far out of my, hmm. my niche. You know what I mean? Cause if I'm trying to like, actually, I just wrote this post. Um, it was for a car company and I had a hard time pinning it. And I was like, you know, I really got to really got to think twice about doing this again. If this is a direction I want to go, because for me to pin this effectively to get traffic to it, I need more boards than what I have. For this topic and is this somewhere that I want to go from here forward um so I had, yeah, I had to make sure I had like five to seven boards so I could pin it aggressively one pin a day per you know one pin a day to one board for seven days and then on top of that I was live pinning twice a day only my top two posts a week plus one new post so I wasn't live pinning everything I just set an alarm in the morning that that I'd go on and I knew my links that oh, I'm live pin this one and live pin the second one and live pin my new one each to one board and then do the same thing in the evening. Um, and that seemed to make somewhat of a difference. I don't see that making a difference right now, but in 2016, that made a huge difference. Um, so then, yeah, rolling out my new content, pinning it that way, and then taking my top content and pinning it that way. So, really, so, really so just to, to clarify a few things when you say a few things when you say live pinning do you mean 
um, like, that you're just going to the post and pinning, or is it as those posts go live on your blog, you pin them? I mean, like I'm going to the post on my blog mm-hmm. and clicking the pin it button gotcha. and making a new original pin. Yeah. And so I'm not like repinning or not putting it in tailwind. I'm live pinning it at that moment. Gotcha. And and how often do you publish content on your blog right now? Right now, it's like once a week. Once a week. Okay. So when you say um, you're live pinning the top two posts um, and one new post, you're basically that one post that just went live, you're pinning that, but you're mm-hmm. also pinning some other top posts on your blog. Yeah. And I usually pull for the top posts, I pull my from my uh, Google Analytics. I pull it, whatever the top posts are, and those tend to be the same thing. So if there is something else in the top, you know, from month to month, if there is something else in the top 10 that aligns with somewhere I'm trying to go in my editorial calendar this month, then I might pin like the sixth most popular post because that's 120 ways to give gift cards and Christmas is coming up. You know what I mean? So I might change the order a little bit based on what I know is happening seasonally, trend-wise, et cetera. Okay, so let's talk about the boards then. How do you determine what boards you're going to create? Because you said if you, if, you can, um, if you can't pin it on five to seven boards, maybe it's not the right kind of content that you should be you know, producing and sharing on Pinterest. Mm-hmm. So how do you determine, hey, these are the kinds of boards that I need for my blog? So... You can, again, go back to those top 10, but also Pinterest has in their analytics so much cool stuff. I mean, everybody talks about Facebook, how their information and data is so great in the audience insights, and it is, but Pinterest has some really cool stuff. They have this section, if you verify your website or claim your website through Pinterest, it puts, you know, code on your website. In analytics, you can then see the traffic that's going to your website, and within that report, there is a section called all time. And from there you can look at your power pins. And those are pins that have, that show up in search, they get clicks and people tend to save them a lot or, you know, repin them. And so those are really good performing pins. So you can look at those, you can look at your top performers in Google analytics. And then also in Pinterest, there's a section called audience. I believe it's called audience or maybe it's people. But in there, you can look at the interests of your audience. And so you can find out from there if you're on target. So for example, my audience is interested in DIY craft projects, home decor. Um, I think there's another one called DIY home or something like that. Like it's all DIY stuff. But then there's some outliers like hairstyles and nails. I could make, because my audience is interested in hairstyles and nails, And they've been interested in that for the two years that I've been looking at these audience insights on Pinterest, I could create content for hairstyles and nails, but I don't want to do that. So just because my audience is interested in it doesn't mean that I should make a board for that or that I should make content for that. So I shouldn't make a board for that. Even though they're interested in it, I should not make a board for nails and hair unless I'm going to make content for nails and hair. If that makes sense. Yep, makes perfect sense. So now you're using data and not just guessing. Uh, you're looking at your yeah. top posts in Google Analytics. You're looking in Pinterest Analytics to see what your audience is most interested in. And you're making a decision about what kind of boards you're going to be creating based on that data. 
Mm-hmm. I love it. Yeah. I mean, cause before, and this is when I was like, when people would say, Hey, you know, you should just use Pinterest. I was like, I am. <laughs> well, I, I wasn't using it very strategically. I was just throwing stuff at the wall and being like, well, why isn't it working? Yeah. So I, I started looking more at the data and, and that's again, you know, what pins should you make? Ikea craft rooms is a super, or what boards should you make? Ikea craft rooms is my top post for four years. I should have, I have, well, I have these boards. I love Ikea. I have a board called Ikea craft rooms. I have a board called craft rooms. So I have lots of Ikea focused things because that's the, one of the things that people are interested in, but they're also interested in the craft rooms. And so I have so many boards about organizing crafts. It's crazy, but I need to pin that post to a lot of, of boards. And I also am using that information that I'm getting from Pinterest to create new content. So I know that my people are interested in craft organizing. So for example, in January, I did a video on YouTube about craft organizing and it blew up. And so, you know, it can give you information on how to create content that your audience is looking for, not just on your blog, but on other social channels. Got it. I, I love this. I love when people take a an <laughs> analytical approach to the creative stuff that they do. It just it adds like this amazing balance. Um, so you're using the data to make those decisions. Now, I, I want to uh, what's a top post on your blog right now? Well, Ikea Craft Rooms is always the top one. Another one is. OK, okay wait, 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 let's stick with that since you use that okay. example. What boards would you pin that to? So I have, I love Ikea, Mm -hmm. Ikea craft rooms, Mm -hmm. craft organizing ideas, craft storage, best crafts and DIY. Um, I think there's another one called, I don't remember. I mean, there's a lot. And this is, this is where Tailwind comes in because I'm pinning that post like 365 days a year. I have set up a board list in tailwind where you can you can say okay i'm I'm noticing a trend that every time i have a mexican food recipe i'm pinning it to these same five boards well you can put them in a list in tailwind so that with one click when you go to schedule it puts those pins on all those boards it's so cool so it puts it on all of those boards immediately or it schedules it, puts it. Them in, it schedules them yeah so normally when you're trying to schedule a pin on tailwind you have to type in the name of yep. each board or scroll and select each one and i have i have over 200 boards like scrolling <laughs> is takes forever so this way i know like if i have an ikea craft room post i'm gonna pick that that set of boards that board list from tailwind and it will automatically populate those board names into each of the pins and then from there i can schedule so i'm not having to scroll and select the board names for each individual pin got it so the it's the boards that you're putting in a specific list mm-hmm. uh, so that you can say hey i want to schedule this post out to this list of boards and it will do that automatically yes it's really cool awesome so now now <laughs> it, it in total then how often are you pinning per day i'm curious Right now I'm up to 50. Um, I have pinned as much as 80 to a hundred times a day, Ooh. but tail, <laughs> yeah, it was a lot. Tailwind did come out with a report. I want to say it was last year that pinning over 50 times a day, 
you start to see diminishing returns. So what I always tell people is to test. You know, if I'm right now, I'm just kind of in maintenance mode. I've been traveling a lot this year, so I'm only doing 50 a day, which is a lot for <laughs> only, a lot for a regular 50. person. <laughs> yeah, I like I have I have a, a course on Pinterest. I tell everyone start out with 10. Okay, like don't even five. Like yeah. don't go crazy trying to do 50 in the beginning because it's too hard to get there. But let's say that I was, I was home and I'm, I'm caught up on my 50 and to me caught up means, and this is kind of the time to evaluate when you are going to want to add more pins is when you are scheduled out at least two weeks, if not 30 days in tailwind. And so if you are scheduled out and you've got that buffer built in, then I would say, okay, that's a time that if you're like, I want to test, bump up your, your number of pins per day in increments of five. And then again, fill up your queue until you get, you know, two weeks to, to four weeks out. And then when you do that, take a screenshot of all your analytics to see where you're at traffic wise, um, you know, what, you know, export that report from Pinterest analytics on what your power pins are. You can export all the data into Excel spreadsheets from Google analytics and from Pinterest. And then you have that data to look at. Even if you don't really know what you're looking for, download all of it so that you have it when you start this test and then increase your number of pins per day and then wait like 30 days and, and just keep the, you know, keep that queue full. And then 30 days later, look at the data and, you know, compare the data that you started with to the data that you ended with. And, you know, did it, did it increase your page views? Did it you know, in a significant enough way for you to put that much effort into pinning that many times a day because you know if you're doing if you're doing 50 pins a day that's 350 pins a week that's a lot of content that you have to find because yeah you know yeah i'm pinning a lot of the same stuff over and over but if that's what my feed looked like and when i'm not paying attention my feed does look like that because <laughs> you, you don't want it to look like that you need to put other stuff in between you need to have some content from some other people so that you're a good community member on pinterest you need to put some of your other content out there that maybe you're not being aggressive with, but it's relevant. Like you should be pinning your father's day stuff right now or your mother's day stuff. If you're coming up on mother's day, or if it's, you know, if it's may, you should be pinning your 4th of July stuff. So you can't just double down on your top 10 and just have your feed filled with pin after pin after pin of the same thing, because it just looks really bad. And now with the new board covers, even more so like you got to make sure your stuff's got a good mix. Gotcha. Okay. So uh, a, a few questions on this. You, you, you spoke a little bit about pinning other stuff. Well, actually, before we go into those questions, it, <laughs> it, those numbers sound very intimidating when I hear t 10 times a day or even worse, 50 times a day. But what, what I find, and you can correct me if I'm wrong on this, mm -hmm. what I find with Pinterest is it's much more it's much easier to do that on a platform like Pinterest because you have you don't have to necessarily come up with a very, you know, elaborate description or uh, mm -hmm. a, a clever status update. Am I correct in my statement where that's concerned? You can just kind of pin it and not have to think too much about how you're pinning it. Yeah, I mean, if you have optimized your description mm -hmm. and added hashtags and you've got a great image with text on it and you know that it's a good performer then you can keep 
pinning it over and over because people aren't going to see it necessarily in a row because the smart feed serves up things um, based on all kinds of factors. You know, it's not chronological, but also you want to keep it in the mix so that it shows up in search so that Pinterest sees it as fresh content. And if you feel like your pin is stale, like Ikea craft rooms pin is super stale. I'm going to make new ones uh-huh. and then add those in the mix. Yeah. Got it. Okay. So you mentioned something there that I want to de- uh, di- dive a little deeper in. You said if you've optimized your descriptions and added the right hashtags and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. So the question is, how do I do that? How do I optimize my descriptions and add those hashtags, etc.? So, you know, Pinterest definitely is more of a search engine than a social media platform. And I think Pinterest themselves say that it's like a discovery platform. They want you to find ideas and be inspired and then go to those sites and do the thing. They want you to have these experiences. So when you think about it like that, it's very much like Google. So just like you write the first paragraph of your blog post with your keywords in it and and you're trying to hook people in, the same with your pin description. You've got to make sure you have keywords in there so that the thing can be, the, the content can be found in search. And the same with your hashtags. Um, And so, you know, if you're already, and this is where I feel like people make it too hard. You've already researched the keywords to write your blog post. Use the same keywords to write your Pinterest description. You know, use the same keywords as a starting point for your hashtags. Um, I think people feel like they have to get really sophisticated with hashtag strategy on Pinterest because they're thinking about hashtag strategy on Instagram or Twitter. And like on Instagram, it's really intense hashtag strategy. But you don't have to do that on Pinterest yet. It probably will change, but it's still early days. Not enough people are using hashtags yet that I, I feel like in my experience that it's reached like a critical mass where, you know, on Instagram, you, you put something on a hashtag. It's not going to be seen if it's used too many times. Mm. I don't think we're at that place with, with Pinterest at all. Um, so when we're talking about hashtags, you know, I, I always start with the keywords that I've already researched and then go into Pinterest and search that hashtag. So, well, okay. Before you even go into that, um, yeah. uh, assume that we're ignorant where this is concerned. <laughs> I am ignorant when it comes to hashtags on Pinterest. So can you tell me how hashtags on Pinterest work? Uh, is it the same like on Instagram where you go, you click on it and you can follow a hashtag and see how uh, all of the posts that are related to that hashtag. Uh, so give us the one one version of hashtags on Pinterest and how they work. Okay, so hashtags on Pinterest don't necessarily work the same way as they do on Instagram. So hashtags, this is my opinion of how they work and my experience of how they work on Pinterest. They're kind of like an indexing tool. Like if any of you are old enough to remember books that had indexes in the back where you would turn to it and it would say, you know, it says the word banana Uh on these different pages. (laughs) Do you remember that? Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. (laughs) So that's how hashtags work on, on Pinterest. If you typed in a hashtag and it does work that way somewhat on Instagram, there's an algorithm at play, but, um, on Pinterest, that's how it works. You type in a hashtag and it's going to show you in mostly chronological order, every instance of whatever word or phrase you hashtagged when you did the search. Now are regular everyday people searching hashtags on Pinterest? No. So the the benefit for us as content creators in using hashtags on Pinterest 
is that it sends another really strong signal to Pinterest that, hey, my content is about bananas because I used hashtag banana. So that's where I feel like the power mm. of it is, is in sending, it's almost kind of like putting tags on your YouTube video or categories or tags on your, your blog post. It's saying, hey, I said that this is banana pudding in the description. I, it's a picture of banana pudding. It's got the words banana pudding recipe on the picture. And I have the hashtag banana and hashtag banana pudding and hashtag banana pudding recipe. So like if Pinterest can't figure out that it's banana pudding from all of that, like, <laughs> you know, you're telling it, these are all ways for you to give Pinterest a strong signal. Like, Hey, this is what this content is about. So that when somebody's searching for banana pudding, Pinterest is like, yep, this is the thing that we're going to show in the search result. And so that's where I think, think hashtags are very powerful is as a search, a way to index your content. So it shows up in search for those keywords that people are looking for. And how do you how do you add those hashtags? Like if I go to a post and I go to pin it, what like where did where where do I enter those hashtags? So there's a couple different ways you can do it. One is right in Pinterest in the little description box. You can type hashtags. Okay. And it actually comes up with a drop-down box that tells you how many times it's been used and suggests additional hashtags to you. So that's pretty cool. But if you are pinning the same type of content over and over, it's a pretty good idea on your blog or your website to make sure that you add the hashtags in with that description that you want Pinterest to pull. So just like we we will tell, you know, social warfare or plugin or you'll use code or whatever to put the pin description with that image on your site, add the hashtags in there too. That way, no matter who pins it, it's pulling it. And so here's a hack that I've been doing since this came out in September of 2017. So since this started, I've been doing this and I've had really interesting results. Every time I start a block of hashtags, I start it with my brand name. So I started with hashtag smart fun DIY, and then I do all the rest of the hashtags. And the reason is in the feed on desktop and, you know, 80% of people on Pinterest are on mobile, but there's still people on desktop. So in the feed on desktop, when you're looking at it, it displays the title of the post under the image. And then it displays, if there are hashtags, the first like three to five hashtags in blue and they're clickable from the feed. So if somebody sees that the first hashtag on every single one of my pins is hashtag smart DIY. Uh-huh. And if they click that, it's going to show them all of my content, whether they know who I am or they're following me or whatever. What I really want is them to see my content and come over to my site. And so every time I do a block of hashtags, it starts with my brand. I like that. And, and um, for those of you, for those of the listeners that are wondering what she said about this whole social warfare, the social warfare is a plugin that uh, a lot of bloggers use. I use it on my blog because I think it's the best social sharing plugin that allows you to customize the social sharing experience on your blog. And it's one that I've mm-hmm. always recommended. Um, and, and in this context, it would allow you to specify the hashtags that you want to go along with that particular pin in the description is that a fair Mm -hmm. description awesome okay so um anything else we need to know about hashtags um i think you know the biggest thing to find out if they work or not because i've heard a lot of people say well the jury's out on whether hashtags work or not 
is to go and validate or go and check your Google Analytics. And so I want to tell people about a report they can run in Google Analytics to check to see if okay. the pins with hashtags are sending you traffic. Um, so if you go into Google Analytics, you want to play with that secondary dimension. Oh, and I've talked in a lot of Facebook groups about this and people are like, I didn't know that was there. I'm like, what? It's like the coolest thing. So um, when you run any report on Google Analytics, like you click on, you know, behavior, site content, and look at like your landing pages, right? These are the pages where people are coming into your site. Anytime you click on there, up at the top, there's a little button that says secondary dimension and you can click on that and add another I guess like um I don't know what it's called like a data point or whatever yeah. for it to to sort this this data so what I do is I look at my landing pages right I go to behavior site content and landing pages and then from there I click on like my top one and I go down the row right first second third etc so I click on it to open it and then it tells you It'll just have the the result for the one blog post, you know, it got a thousand page views or whatever for the time period that you're you're looking at. If you add the secondary dimension of referral path, so we're at landing page on the left, and then it says referral path, that's your secondary dimension, then it will tell you the pins that sent the traffic to that post and exactly how much traffic was sent. So then you can click on each of those pins and see which ones, because it puts them in order of how much traffic they sent you, which ones had hashtags, and then what were those hashtags? So like, let's say you're doing a Thanksgiving post, you might do Thanksgiving dinner on one of them as a hashtag, and then on the next one, you might do hashtag Thanksgiving recipe. And then you can test and see, did Thanksgiving dinner give me more traffic or hashtag Thanksgiving recipe? Because you can see which pins sent you the most traffic. And Every time I have a spike in traffic, I go and I run this report and I look at the pins and I'm like, it's the ones with the hashtags. Really? Sending me the traffic. Yes. Very, very interesting. I'm, I'm actually very curious to experiment with hashtags now and see um, what it does for what I'm doing on Pinterest. So thanks for sharing that. Um, yeah. my, I feel like. I feel like you can go into so much more where Pinterest <laughs> is concerned, but we're kind of like running out of time. So what I'm going to ask you to do is talk. I know you have a second brand. Uh, uh, well, probably not just second, but you have a consulting <laughs> firm, Smart Creative Social. Can you tell me a little bit about that and what you have going on over there? Yeah, so uh, I have so many people who've asked me for help over the years, and I started having corporations in the craft industry ask for help. So I created Smart Creative Social as a way for me to give coaching and to help companies develop their own strategy. And so my philosophy there is to teach you to do your own social media or at least train someone on your staff to do it so that you have a deep understanding of, of where you're going, you know, how to use it, what metrics you should be looking at, et cetera. And so under that platform, I do offer coaching, but I also offer a couple of courses. And so I have a course on hashtags, um, <laughs> of course, because I like hashtags a lot. Coincidentally. <laughs> <laughs> I also have a course called Smart Pin Pro, all about how to develop a Pinterest strategy to get traffic to your site. And hashtags is one of the cornerstones that we teach in that course. 
awesome. So if anybody wants to check that out, they can go to smartcreativesocial.info and I'll have the direct link to the course in the show notes and they can use the coupon code blogging with Leslie. Yes. Uh-huh. And get what? They get $50 off. So um, no matter what the price of the course is, whenever you decide to use the coupon, you'll get $50 off. I like money off. Money, yeah. off, money off is nice. <laughs> <laughs> Jennifer, I want to thank you so much for coming on here and providing so much value. You rock. Uh, thanks for having me. <laughs> no problem. Hey, guys, uh, you want to check out what she has going on? You can uh, check out her blog. Uh, you can check out her at two places, actually. Number one, smartfundiy.com to see some of the stuff that we were talking about today. And also smartcreativesocial.info. But don't worry about it. I got it all linked in the show notes. Becomeablogger.com slash 336. Head on over there and you can get uh, you can check out what she has going on there. All right, let's see what else do we have. Next episode, next week, we're going to be talking all about how to leverage your blog for speaking opportunities. We're going to talk about from the, the preparation to the, well, how do you set up your speaking page and how do you leverage that to get speaking opportunities and make some money, get paid to do that. Uh, we're going to talk all about that. Hey, I hope you got value in this episode. I know you did. I want to invite you to check out. If you are trying to get your blog going, you need some hand-holding help. You want somebody to show you what to do, answer your questions, check out my Become a Blogger Coaching Club. Uh, you can check it out at bloggercoaching.com. One of the main features is you ask a question, you get a video response with an answer showing you how to do the thing that you want to do and all that good stuff. But that's pretty much it for this episode. This is Leslie Samuel here from becomeablogger.com. We're changing the world one blog at a time. And until next time, take care and God bless.